You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Andy Woodard. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. He is an awesome guy. He's been through some crazy stuff. But out of all of the episodes I've ever done, I can't think of another one that has a message as good as this one. So you're going to have to listen all the way through and just hear about the struggles that he's faced and his outlook and perspective on it, how he's stayed positive, and how dogs changed his life. We're going to talk all about dog hunting, handling, training, things like that. But I've got to let you know before we jump into the episode, I went to the dentist two days ago. I got an injection of anesthesia, and I'm pretty sure they hit a nerve because the entire right side of my tongue is still numb. So if you hear me talking kind of funny, if it sounds like I've had too much to drink, that's not actually the case. It is because my tongue is still numb and I tried to push through and get this recording out anyways. And I really think you're going to enjoy this. So don't let that take away from the message, from the content. But if you hear it, that's what it's from. So let's jump into today's episode with Andy. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is Andy Woodward. Now, when Andy reached out to me uh, in, in the message, it talked about roadie best and best retrievers and right away i was like man i've got to hear more stories because i get all the stories from roadie himself but hearing other people talk about him he's he's a funny guy and we really do consider the best family down in page texas like family and although we've got our dog back we're going to continue to go down there and visit them hang out do some hunts and all of that but andy thanks for hopping on the show i appreciate it hey thanks for having me i'm glad to be here yeah, so why don't you walk me through, when did you get connected with the best crew? 17 years ago, I had a dog named Rocky. Um, of course, I grew up when I started. I was the kid in the early 20s, you know, throwing the rocks out there, making ripples so the dog would go get the bird. And um, 
I was on a forum called Refuge Forums, um, just talking duck hunting, and some guy had posted um, that he had a finished lab that he needed to find a home for. And if you know anything about the competition, UKC, AKC stuff, uh, finished means he's up all the way through hand signals. And I thought, there's no way he's giving his dog away. And I contacted him, and he had trained the dog. He was down in Houston. He had trained the dog for uh, a sheriff. So he was actually uh, also a drug-sniffing dog. Oh, wow. But the guy, the sheriff was not taking care of him. And this guy, his, his name was Rocky. And this trainer really loved that dog, and he pulled up there and blew the horn one day by his house just to see him in his kennel, and the dog wouldn't get up. He went over there and got to looking, and he had an automatic feeder, automatic water, ants all over the food, scum in the water. dog had lost 20, 30 pounds. So he opened the gate up, took the dog, um, and the sheriff contacted him for some reason and said, man, my dog come up missing. He said, yeah, I got him. If I ever see you again, you're going to regret it. And the dog turned out to be hot one positive. Well, the guy I was dealing with, his wife was a vet. And he said, we're going to take care of the heartworms if we can just find a good home for him. And so I went down and got him. Great hunting dog. Um, And I had posted, I kept a running dialogue, what, what he was going through and what we did together, getting him to where he was hunting again. And he, he loved me. I couldn't part from him. I was always tripping on him. He had to be with me. And I was out in the front yard one night on the phone with a guy. And I don't know what it was, but something made him take off running. And he ran on the highway and got hit by a car in front of me. Oh, my goodness. So there was a guy that contacted me through this forum. He said, man, I got a dog you'd be interested in. I said, well... We had, I was younger. I said, nah, I can't afford a dog right now. He said, you're not listening. He goes, we're going to give you this dog. I said, really? So I met him and come to find out his dog had been with Rody 17, 18 years ago. Oh, wow. So I went and got him and I named him Rocky after the original. And a friend of mine here trained him up through uh, finished. He had him doing finished work. And um, then I ended up taking him to Rody. I met Rody at a hunt test and uh, took him to Rody. And that's how I met Rody with Rocky. Man, that is so cool. So, first of all, I'm blown away that you've put up with all of Rody's antics and pranks for 17 years. So, kudos <laughs> to you for that. He's a prankster. <laughs> oh, man. The. I can't remember. I think it was middle of last year we went down there and we were getting ready to go out and do some thermal hog hunting. And he came over to me and he was like, Hey, walk over here with me and we're going to take a peek inside this cooler and you'll see what I'm up to. And we walked over there <laughs> and he lifted the cooler up and here is a rattlesnake attached to a fishing line. And I was like, oh, my goodness, even though I knew something was going on, it still startled me. Well, he's like, just just watch. 
And there was another guy there. I, I can't remember if he was checking in on his dog, picking it up, dropping it off, what, what he was doing there. But anyways, Rody had known him for a while and he told the guy, he's like, Hey man, could you, would you mind going and get me a Coke out of that, out of that cooler over there? And the guy walks over, lifts it up. And I thought he was going to fall over dead from a heart attack. I mean, he, he took five steps back and then for the next five minutes, he was just pacing up and down the driveway. He was so mad. Apparently, he's got a huge fear of snakes, and that just got to him too much. He's he has that at every. You you're well uh, aware of the crawfish bowl every year, right? Yeah, I am. I think we're gonna try to make it down there this year uh, if it works out. My wife's pregnant right now, so uh, depending on how she's doing with all that. Me and another guy do all the crawfish cooking, but he has that cooler there every year and you'll be amazed at how many people fell for it two years in a row <laughs> yeah i've uh i i have yet to fall for it and i think probably the only reason i have yet to fall for it is because i always go to that fridge in his garage and i get an a&w root beer that's like my favorite canned drink is an a&w root beer and i know where they are in the fridge and uh but one of these times we're going to be out in the field and i'm going to go to reach for it and and probably stop my heart for a couple seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's something every day with him. Yeah. It, I I told him last time I was down there, I said, you guys really need a reality TV show. That would go over pretty well. <laughs> I've said the same thing. So, so once you met up with him, I mean, did you then put your dog through his training program or was that just meeting him there and, and uh, kind of exchanging information and that type of thing. I took him pretty much right after that. I took him down there, dropped him off. And let me tell you, this dog was, they say you get one good dog in your life. And that, that was him. I, I'm, I'm shooting for another one, but um, Rody took him to the, we got the finished title on him in UKC. Rody took him to the international grand are you familiar with that? Um, I don't I don't think I've heard about that yet. That's the that's the last step in UKC. That's you have to qualify for it and it's the big deal. Um it's a a week long five series event and Rody got a got a grand pass on this dog at twenty two months old. Oh my goodness. Kristen doing some research and he was, I don't know if he still is, but then at that time he was the youngest dog to ever pass the Georgia grand. That is amazing. I, I'm still back and forth. I mean, I, when I go down there, I absolutely love watching them compete. I got to go down there for one of the, one of the series that they were doing. And then just watching the dogs handle during training. Like when we picked up my dog scout, we we came in and he's like, hey, I'm going to have you run four different dogs. And it blew my mind the level of different dogs. You know, when when you've got a dog that's got a master title versus, you know, my dog being in 11 months, I was more than impressed. I've never I've never had a well-trained hunting dog. And I've told this story before. I actually told it to Rody. Um, similar similar to you getting a getting a dog that was trained. Uh, I thought that's what I was getting. I found a dog 
we were looking for a puppy and I ended up coming across this post. A guy said, Hey, I've got a trained dog, AKC registered. It came, it came from the first ever chocolate national champion and sent me the papers. He said, it's free to a good home. I've hunted with it seven years, but now I've got young girls and I just, the dog doesn't have the time that it deserves. And so I was like, awesome. Went and picked up the dog. Come to find out it was a glorified fetcher. I mean, if it, if it saw it go down, it would go and get it. But when it retrieved and came back, it would stop at everything on the shore and take a leak. It would go sniff around, maybe drop, drop the bird, drop the bumper. And then after a couple minutes, finally bring it over to me. And I talked to a trainer here in town. I used to throw birds for him. And he said, Dan, <laughs> I don't know how much we can do with your dog. He said, your dog's a pretty old dog to be learning all of this stuff when it's been doing it the same way for seven years. And then once I actually went down to best retrievers and saw what a true working dog can do, I was like, wow, this is a different level. And so, yeah, I got to run my dog and he did great and he's continuing to do great, keeping up with his training. Um, but then running one of Rody's dogs who I think has seven master titles, the difference between that, like having an actual finished dog and then just a dog that has made it through basic or advanced gun dog training was night and day. Yeah. And you getting to run those different dogs. Can you imagine? And, and most people can't, I think I can, but I still can't get deep enough. Um, Rody have 10, 15, whatever master national dogs on a truck and the, the brain power and the, science it takes in his head to be able to know every quirk of every dog and what he has to do different with every dog running in every condition yeah i mean he really is a master of his craft and hearing him talk about that it, it blows my mind i mean even just hearing the different barks or whimpers or like when he lets a dog out of the truck gets it up to the line and he would explain to me you know for whatever reason this dog will favor this specific spot to the left a little bit. And so I'm going to maybe bump it two degrees to the right so that it stays on the line that I want it to go on. And not even the dogs themselves, but reading terrain and knowing how a dog is going to pull because of a shadow or because of a tree line or tall grass. I'm like, it was, it was so exciting to me and so intimidating to me all at the same time realizing how much actually goes in to handling a dog at this advanced level yeah it's very very addictive uh when i got into the hunt test thing it was it was over for me i it's like a hot rod you can't go backwards yeah i would imagine that i mean i i was talking to him and i was like you know i think eventually i'll want to get into this and i'll want to compete and like run my own dog but at this point i said this is my first dog i'm gonna do everything i can with it but you know i'm gonna be from now on anytime i get a dog i know exactly who i'm going to i know that they breed amazing litters down there just seeing their entire program was pretty impressive yes and so like you said they are so 
so family oriented. Yeah, even just having lunch for the staff throughout the day and and seeing the people and how they interact and seeing his his trust in the trainers coming up and them going and competing at a high level. I mean, his son Dakota, he's he's doing great in Kerrigan and I mean, the list goes on of of people that have interacted with him and been so much better for it. Yes. So where are you at now in the dog training world? Are you running dogs still? And if so, how many? Uh, I've only got the one now, which um, his name's Coop, C-O-O-P. Um, he's out of blue. That's his daddy, who's Rody's personal dog. Um, we started him in the hunt test, and he was a soft dog. And me and Rody had a long talk, and he told me that you know, I can get him through master, but it's going to take a lot of work and a long time. And I said, ah, let's just take him out. And it was crazy. He he would do the work when he wanted to, but he still had that softness. And my wife started going out in the backyard and just throwing ball, squeaky balls for him. And, man, he did a 180. And he's, he's really a nice dog now. But he's seven, and I, I – I'm going to get another one here next year and start back over in the hunt. I got to stay in the hunt test. It's so much fun. So for, for people listening, because I'm, I'm becoming familiar more and more with the different terminology uh, that goes along with dog training and hunt tests and things like that. But when you say a soft dog, what do you mean by that? He doesn't relate well with pressure. Um, the more pressure you had to put on him, they'll kind of sulk and pout, um, not want to work for you as much. Um, I hope I'm saying this right because I know Rody will correct me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he was just – you had to take a lot of extra time with him because he wasn't a ball fire. He, like the, the the Rocky dog I had, man, you could, you could hit him with 126 on a car, which we don't. But you could you could hit him hard on a call if you had to. He didn't care. He, he would tell you, okay, I got it. I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He just was so eaten up with it. And and like I say, being soft, they 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 tend to pile up a little bit. Yeah. I've I've had dogs in both scenarios, not again trained trained hunting dogs, but just seeing some dogs and it's like kids, you know, my son Canyon. If I if I get onto him, it takes a lot for him to really be to be paying attention. You know, he's got his mind somewhere else. He's a tough kid. And then my daughter, all I have to do is look at her wrong. And she just breaks down emotionally. <laughs> and you do see that with dogs, you know, people think that every dog is treated the same, but hearing the different things that that the dogs have as far as the love language, even, you know. Yeah. One dog, if you're stern with, they do. They really just kind of, they feel like they let you down and then they get bummed out and they don't, they don't perform well. And then other dogs, you can, you can get onto them as hard as you want. And they're just so stubborn and hard headed that they continue to do their own thing. They don't want to listen. Yeah. Well, I always heard from people being hanging around people like Rody that when you go to a hunt test or even going out training, you know, when you open that 
kennel up and let that dog out, you don't know what dog's coming out that day. All right, how many of you guys hate dealing with tangled up rope, trying to untie it? It's all knotted up and you actually really need it at the time. Don't raise your hands because I obviously can't see you, but those days are long gone. Rapid Rope is a quick deploy rope solution that you can pull the length you need and cut it all with one hand. You don't need knives or scissors or a lighter to singe the end because it's cross-threaded to keep it from fraying. Yeah, they've thought of everything. And this is way stronger than your average 550 cord. In fact, this is 1,100 pound test. It comes in a shatterproof canister that you can fit in the cup holder in your vehicle or your backpack or I don't know if you still wear cargo pants, any one of the thousand pockets that you have. It comes in a 120 foot canister, a 70 foot canister, and you can get a rope refill. So just in a matter of seconds, you could be deploying and cutting rope with one hand again. So if you wanna stop dealing with the headache of untying rope and detangling everything, anytime you need to tie something down, go check out rapidrope.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, you've probably heard me talking about Infinite Outdoors in the past. Infinite Outdoors is expanding access for hunting and fishing on private land across the country. From whitetail hunts in Missouri to waterfowl hunts in Wyoming and pheasant hunts in Colorado, they provide access to over a million acres of private land listings for all types of hunting and fishing. Best part is, it's incredibly easy to browse and book properties all on the Infinite Outdoors app. The app is free to download and easy to use. All you have to do is sign up and you can browse over 250 different adventures across 10 states. Download the app today and use Nomadic 15 for 15% off your membership. Yeah, and I'm sure everything plays into it. Even watching uh, The Crown this year, I, I was on YouTube, I think, for the entire thing. I watched it all. I was cheering. I was, you know, in, in my own mind with no judging experience, but just from what I've seen, I was trying to kind of tally up points and how many points a dog got based off of its run. And, and yeah, watching, watching those dogs and seeing how, you know, after maybe a, a short break or restocking birds, the weather would change and all of the dogs competed differently whether better or worse it's like there's so many variables that go into it and you just hope that your dog's in a good headspace when you bring it to the line exactly so with with all of the the training and the competing and the hunt tests what does that look like as far as your hunting season goes do you still actually get out and hunt with these dogs or has your passion fallen more into the the testing category than the hunting category. I don't know. If he won't hunt, I don't want him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still a, and I, I mean, I love shooting birds, but, you know, I, I tell my buddies when we're out duck hunting, hey, I'm shooting my birds if you want to. Just let me pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen that across a lot of different hunting um, scenarios with different types of dogs, whether it be, mountain lion dogs or upland or waterfowl or even shed hunting and blood tracking people really get into the the portion of it of having a dog out there i've talked to guys they're like i won't hunt if i don't have a dog with me like that is a huge part of it for them it's like 
when you build that connection with an animal and they become your hunting buddy, they become your companion. And now you get to take them out and let them do what they love. Like you both get to enjoy a day and the dog gets just as much, if not more out of it as the hunter does. Well, and dogs have, I'm not going to say say, they have saved my life. Um, and they've made, made it much, it's just so enjoyable and so pleasurable to be out there with them. That, that's all that matters when I'm out there. Yeah. Uh, do you do, so you're in Texas and you had mentioned you're right on the Louisiana border. Mm-hmm. What what kind of birds are you typically going after? Are you guys doing puddle ducks down there, divers, geese? Uh, no geese. Um, we'll get some mallards late season, but normally it's always divers, wood ducks, gray ducks, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like hearing different people. <laughs> I've got I've got a couple guys that I've talked to in Pennsylvania about waterfowl hunting. And they're like, we don't even shoot wood ducks anymore. Like they're just everywhere. Yeah. And they give me a list of birds. One of them, one of them I was talking to is like, man, I just, I really want to shoot a Drake gadwall. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we can't, we can't get away from gadwall here. <laughs> it's like, they are the dumbest, least desirable bird among my friend group. They're just, it's like you shoot two of them out of a group and the other three come back. And I'm like, <laughs> they're for whatever reason, but you know, depending on the region you're in, there are certain birds that you just don't see. And I feel like those become the desirable ones or like mallards. I mean, they're known for being hard to work, especially the farther South you go, the more pressure they've seen all through the season, whether it be in Canada or the Northern States or the Midwest. Oh yeah. They've heard every call. They've seen every spread. They've seen every blind. I mean, they're a lot harder to hunt down here. Do you, uh, do you guys do a lot of calling when you go duck hunting? Cause I, I hunted with a group of guys down in Texas and they don't, they hardly blow the call ever. Yeah, I don't either. Um, but the only time me personally, I'll blow a call is if, if, if I see them, I'll hit a call just so they hear me and want to take a look. If they take a look and start circling, then the only thing I'll do is I'll, course it's a circle and you don't have corners but i'm going to say i'll hit a call once on the corners when they're circling and if they're still responding then i just let them do what they're going to do yeah are are you guys hunting fields or big water or flooded timber flooded timber big water okay uh, used to do a lot of hunting i don't know if you ever heard of caddo lake i haven't it's it's something you need to see before you die it's here in marshall um it's it's like being in Louisiana. It, well, it is the world's largest cypress forest. Oh man. I I have yet to hunt flooded timber, and that is something I desperately want to do. Hearing yeah. uh, hearing about it and watching the videos of it, it just seems like a different world. And in fact, I won't say too much on the podcast, but Knowing how many people hunt flooded timber in the South, I've uh, come up with an idea for a product that I've talked to some friends who own a company about, and we'll see if it ends up making it to market ever, but it, it might change the game for, for flooded timber guys. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, 
I, I feel kind of like a hypocrite coming up with this idea, having never even hunted flooded, flooded <laughs> timber myself. Yeah, but as a duck hunter, that's all we ever think about. So <laughs> I know I, I told my wife, I'm like, I just need to, if, if you can just sell ideas to people and let them run with it, I could make a lot of money off of that. Cause every time I'm out, I think of something else that's going to make life for a hunter, life for a dog handler, you know, life for anybody out in the, out in the outdoors easier and all the best inventions I feel like come from that people who are passionate about it and, and realize there's a, an issue that needs address. Yep. I lived on that. I had a, uh, aluminum welding fabrication business used to build mud boats. And I, I mean, I've always been on the Marine side of it, but me and my friend always joked that if, that hunter or fisherman had to wait till the next day to buy diapers to get that boat fixed and be out there on that water. That boat's getting fixed. <laughs> That's exactly right. That? Oh man. That's too good. What, uh, what does your hunting season look like so far this year? I know it was kind of a rough go for a lot of people that I've talked to in our flyway. I didn't get a hunt much this year. I've been, been sick a lot and, um, I got to make our annual Oklahoma trip with Roadie, and there's eight of us that goes up there. Um, made that trip and hunted around here very, very little. I've just been under the weather a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. It's been – I've talked to a lot of people this year, and it seems like it was kind of a tough year as far as hunting and then even just personal stuff, you know, whether it be a sickness or – family issues or anything you know that that's kind of the story of my year this year i feel like i got to hunt less than ever and i was so excited because i got a dog now you know i want to get out but we still get out and train all the time and even things in the house man he anytime he sees that bumper come out or lately he's liked uh deer sheds i i've got a couple deer sheds and i'll hide it in the house and it's something fun for the kids to be able to do or They'll handle him. They'll have him sit. One of them will go hide, hide his bumper or his deer shed or his favorite toy. And then they have him hunted up. And he, it's like when he can't be outside, that is his favorite thing to do. Yep. What a, I, I feel like there's kind of a misconception as far as dog training and handling. Um, I talked to, I talked to some friends and, you know, they're like, man, I don't have that much time to dedicate to it. But then seeing the program down at Best Retrievers and talking to other other handlers, seeing that, you know, it, it's not several hours a day. You're, you're not running these dogs until they're exhausted. Like, you're keeping it fun. What does training look like for you on a daily basis with a dog? 15, 20 minutes. Um, just doing drill work. Um, of course, Rody, I'm not a trainer. So, um you know, Rody did all the training. He trains us as owners of, you know, what to do. And I just – in fact, I don't do much with – I don't do anything with him during the summer here because it's so hot. But right between summer and duck season, I'll start doing the drills again. Well, I say 10, 15 minutes a day. Yeah, I feel like that's a good time frame to keep the dogs involved, engaged, excited and it makes them want to come back and do it again. You know, I, I used to think like, Oh, I got to get as much time in as I can. And then 
after a little while, the attention span kind of goes away as, as soon as the dog gets tired or fatigued and they, they seem to lose interest pretty quick after that. Yeah. I've got friends that'll buy a puppy and I've heard them say, man, I go out there and I throw 50 bumpers and he just won't quit. Dude, you don't need to do that before six months old. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Because, you know, two or three bumpers, fun bumpers, and that's it because you can take it out of them, but you can't put it back in them. Yep. Yeah, and it, I mean, with with dogs, especially in weather, you know, extreme cold or extreme heat, and even just on a on a good weather day, like, it'd be like you telling me, hey, go run up and down the basketball court. Oh, I can do that. I can do that with all my energy. And then they're like, now do it 50 more times. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like about 10 times into it, I'm going to start questioning why I'm even out there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some memorable hunts for you. I mean, you've had, you've had some good dogs, some different dogs. What, uh, what are some stories that you could tell that are things that you'll never forget as far as being out in the woods or out on the water with a dog? Two of my favorite ones go back to Rocky again. Um, the guy that originally trained him here, he told him the first time I took him hunting, he said, now he's going he's gonna to act like he's never been trained before. I said, but man, he's doing finished work and whatever, you know, I didn't believe him. So the first time I took him hunting, um, the first bird we dropped, I had to run him as a blind, lined him up. He was looking dead on, kicked him off. And that dude did a 180 and ran off in the woods for 30 minutes. <laughs> he wouldn't come back on a whistle, hollering at him. You couldn't get him back. He was all I don't know where he went. <laughs> did it, did I, he ever uh, end up getting that bird? Yeah, once I got him back and kind of walked out closer to it, laid out in the water with him a little bit and made it easier on him, helped him out. And then he was all about it. And, then one time we were hunting together with some friends and the lake had come up in a matter of a couple of days, just a whole bunch and uprooted a bunch of trees. Well, about three or four of the trees had gathered out in front of the blind and they were probably sticking out of the water 30 yards wide and 10, 10 yards deep. Now, if you took a string from Rocky to that bird, where he and he marked it, he saw it fall. It went right across those trees. Well, they'll pull that stuff on you and hunt test. And um, so I sent him. But where I hunting, if he wants to cheat and go around that tree a little bit, I'm not gonna stop him today. So he took off. He spent five minutes climbing over all those trees to get to that bird. I thought, wow. I said, okay, now you can cheat. He didn't cheat coming back either. He oh climbed my goodness. all the way back over those trees, brought the bird back. My buddies were like, man, how do you get him to do that? I said, well, I'm just a badass trainer. I mean, <laughs> well, I didn't think you trained him. I said, oh, okay, well, you're right. Um, <laughs> but you, you, and then the next day, you know, we, you can't get him to go over the trees. But that, that I always remember that one. That was, because everybody was so impressed and it was making me feel great. Oh man, that's awesome. There's there, there's nothing more rewarding and nothing more disappointing 
than having a dog work or not work. We, I, I mean, the group that I run with here, nobody at this point up until me has had a fully trained hunting dog. And I can't tell you how many shotgun shells and rocks and sticks were thrown out by a dead bird because the dog had no idea what it was doing. Exactly. I I told my wife after my last dog, I said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I'm going to have a dog that can handle. I was talking with Rhodey and Kristen and Dakota about what my expectations were for a dog. And, you know, I told them, I just, I want a dog that listens, that's driven and that I don't have to throw rocks to make a splash near a bird that goes down. And so they're like, all right, we can handle it. And it was so cool to see the progression. I mean, we went down and visited multiple times while he was in training. And every time it just blew my mind. The the relationship that they build with the dogs, the trust that they build, and then to see how the dog really wants to work and respond to, you know, the commands that they're giving it and the the things that they're expecting from it. Seeing him work, it was like Christmas Day. I mean, it was the best gift I had ever gotten was watching my dog actually work and respond the way it was supposed to. Yep, it's a euphoric feeling. It's you just you can't beat it, man. It's just you know, like I said, the, the dogs have been there through everything I've been through and they 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 just make my world. Yeah, what would you what would you say to somebody who might be interested in either getting into training or doing hunt tests or field trials or anything like that, who's hesitant because of, I mean, it does seem overwhelming coming from the outside and seeing how much goes into it. What advice would you give them to encourage them to move forward with trying it out? Well, since I'm not a trainer, I can't help you on the training, but the hunt test is just, it is just so rewarding whether you're running them, or whether your trainer's handling them. Um, man, it just, I mean, it's like watching your kid hit his first home run or score his first touchdown. You just, you can't describe the feeling. It's just so deep and so good. Yeah, the amount of reward that you get from it, just watching it all, all come to completion or, you know, a dog do a good retrieve or get a low score. I feel like I feel like you really can't replace it. I mean, I love watching sports. I've been into sports my whole life. But watching the crown this year, I told my wife I said, "Sorry babe, but I'm pretty sure this is going to be something I do every year. This is going to be like the Super Bowl for me." Yeah. I watched it. And the sad thing is it's in Shreveport, which is 30 miles from me. But again, I've been I've been sick and wasn't able to go over there, so I watched it live stream. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool watching. It was cool rooting, you know, for people that I knew. And I'm sure you know a lot of the people in it after being in this world for so long. But watching Dakota and Kerrigan run, and and then, of course, Dakota won that boat. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was on the phone texting him right away. He probably didn't see it till later that day because he was – he was busy at the tournament, but I was like, that guy just got a brand new duck boat. That's pretty awesome. With no motor. We need to get a GoFundMe and get him some paddles. 
<laughs> I'll just uh I'll stop at Walmart and get some flippers and a uh and a mask and snorkel and it can be it can be a new workout program. No motor, you just self propel. I think he's, he's probably I think he's getting the motor here pretty soon for it. Yeah, I I'm excited to see it in person. I uh we congratulated him obviously when we went down there, but that was pretty cool. All right, if you're not using Tacticam's Reveal Cell cameras on your hunting property for scouting or monitoring the wildlife, you are seriously missing out. When you pair that with the Reveal mobile app, you can see the action as it's happening, no matter where you are. In fact, I've got trail cameras up in Wisconsin on the land that we hunt, and not only do I get pictures from those cameras sent to me, I can also track the progress of the camera, the battery life, how much memory is left on the SD card, and I can see what the weather's doing at the time that a picture is taken. So I can't think of a better tool for scouting whether it is close to home or in a totally different state. So if you want to stay tuned into the action or just get into the action, go to revealcellcam.com or tacticam.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. All right, guys, I've got to tell you about some of the new XOP products that I've been using this fall, and some of them I use in kind of an unconventional way. First off, I use the Mondo saddle, but I also use their turkey hunter vest, and I take the cold world stand, put it in the back of the vest, and carry it in that way. Depending on how far I have to pack in, I'll just bring a foot platform, but one thing I've learned is that if I put the seat cushion on the underside of the seat and flip it up, it turns it into a knee pad also, or I can flip the seat down and sit on it like a conventional tree stand. I also use their holster kit clipped right onto my saddle to carry in my climbing sticks while keeping my hands free. If you're interested in getting a mobile hunting setup like mine, go to xopoutdoors.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. Do you have any hunts that you're looking forward to that you haven't gotten to do yet? Well, yeah, you always do. Um, but the, the the problems I'm having has really deterred a lot of what I can do. Um, I will tell you this. Um, some I want to make. There's a uh, – and I, I was looking at your – Facebook and you, I see you're a religious person. Yeah. Um, so I love that. It's a Bible study this morning. Um, but there's a place called, there's a website called Blasting Cast Men's Ministries. Okay. Well, I've been associated with them, I don't know, 20 years or so. But they do a uh, duck hunt in Rockport every year. And you duck hunt in the morning and you fish for redfish in the evening and afternoons. Um, and they've got chapters all over now, but they have a uh, the second or third week in January, they do a duck hunt in New Mexico that I want to go to. And they also do a pheasant hunt in Colorado, I'd like to make just, just for Coop because he's he's a pretty good pheasant hunter. He, he can't point. He's not a pointer, but he's he'll flush and retrieve all day long. Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, to to have a dog that does both, but 
Also, New Mexico, that's not a, I mean, I've come to find out not to underestimate any states and what they offer for hunting, but most people, at least in the Midwest, don't really think about New Mexico as a waterfowl destination. Right, and <clears throat> two years ago in Rockport, I got to hunt with the pastor that puts it on in New Mexico, and I looked at a lot of their pictures. You can see them on the website. Um, they, sh they shoot quality there. It's, you're not shooting divers and Looks like everything's a lot of puddle dust, a lot of gal wall and widgeon and mallards and Yeah, that I mean, I feel like puddle ducks obviously have that reputation for being the most tasty. Is there what what's your favorite bird to to hunt? If you if you could go out tomorrow and get a guaranteed limit of something, what what species of duck would it be? Uh, you know it'd be greenheads. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty pretty common. What about a bucket list duck? Maybe something that you haven't shot or hardly see any of. Well, you know, I've always wanted to shoot some sea ducks and stuff, but um, that that's out of the question now. So um, it's just I'm. It, that's why it's all about the dogs, man. That's just that's what tides me over and keeps me going. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for the dogs. It's more about the job that they have to do. I mean, a dog, I, I, I may be wrong. Maybe there are certain dogs that have, absolutely love bringing greenheads back, but I feel like for a dog, a duck is a duck. It's a job to get done, and their reward is coming back with that bird. Unless it's a coot. <laughs> Unless it's a coot. Man, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard some people talk about how some of their favorite – uh, ducks are coot. In fact, I, I heard, and I can't confirm this because I've never had a conversation with him, but Johnny Morris, the owner of Bass Pro Shops, I heard a rumor that his favorite bird is a coot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> those, are the, those are the ones that were like, hey, go ahead, swim around. And I was pretty surprised. I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin and hunting the Mississippi River, we would come across rafts of coot. And we never thought twice about them. And then going down to Texas, I saw the same thing. I was yeah. like, man, there's a lot of coot here. And they're like, let them swim around. It's just confidence for the, for the other ducks. You know, they'll come and land right in it. I was like, you mean to tell me all you guys have to do is put a bunch of coot decoys out there and it makes the birds more interested in coming? I've always heard, uh, you familiar with Haydale duck calls? Yeah. I've always heard that Eli Haydell, the owner, um, that the started it, um, that, that's what he was big on was putting out coot decoys more than anything. It makes sense. I mean, if, if it gives the other birds confidence, then why not? You know, if you can get it to look like a bunch of coot are swimming around, you put a bunch of coot out there on jerk rigs or with the little, uh, like the torpedo keel motor. Mm -hmm. It's going to look just like anything else, and I don't think they're going to pay too much attention to detail if they see a bunch of movement on the water. Yeah, there's something inside of me that won't let me pay money for coot decoys. <laughs> hey, you don't have to pay money for them. Just find people's old decoys and spray paint them black. There you go. Ivory on the bill. <laughs> there you go. I think uh, I'm, I'm curious. You know, it's it's funny seeing people across the country and their different techniques for 
both calling and decoy spreads and all of that, it just blows my mind that a lot of people are hunting these same birds all the way, all the way north and south on the country. And the technique is so much different, but I guess that just comes with the amount of pressure and what all the birds have seen on their route. Exactly. I, uh, I don't remember when it was probably five years ago. I was watching a show on Alaska and those guys up there, there's some people that just make mounds of mud on the bank and they stick sticks in it. And that's all their decoys are. They don't actually have any plastic decoys. <laughs> I'm saying that. It, it was pretty impressive. I think the guy walked away on that episode with like three geese. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I, I doubt he's going to get 40 mallards to drop in on that spread, but the fact that he could pull any birds in close enough to shoot with that, I, I couldn't believe it. It made me feel really dumb for paying all this money for decoys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I feel like one, this has been very informative, but even just talking with you and hearing about your passion, I can't imagine that there's going to be people that listen to this that don't have their interest peaked in, in running competitions. And it seems like once you get that bug, there's no getting rid of it. Oh yeah. Hey, you're, you're done. <laughs> uh, as far as, as far as going to these competitions, I mean, I would imagine you've made quite a few friends and relationships that are going to last a lifetime doing all this stuff. It seems like a lot of, good like-minded people i'm sure there's some contra- controversy or some conflict that happens also but i couldn't believe the camaraderie in these events it, it's amazing especially with the best family um the being with them as long as i have um i'll do this kind of quickly because it can get drawn out but um back in 2004 when i was 40 i had a heart attack I was duck hunting in Rockport when I had it. Um, and I didn't have the symptoms that everybody says the left arm hurting and all that. So I didn't think it was a heart attack. Had it all day Saturday, went away Saturday night, went out hunting Sunday morning, came back, and then we made the seven hour drive back home. And I got home and my wife, I've always been the type of person, we go to move something, I'm going to grab the heavy end. Yeah. She asked me, she said, well, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. Why? She goes, you're not helping them unload. And that's not like you. I said, oh, I'm just tired. I'm fine. She said, we need to go to the hospital. I said, no, nah, you're getting overboard. Well, we went to the hospital. I was having a heart attack. <clears throat> oh, wow. Put two stents in. And then in 2010, six years later, I had another heart attack. And this time they did, had to do five bypasses. Um, so the, the crazy thing about that was I had a back surgery scheduled for Friday because I had fought my back for 20 years. And Thursday night when I had the heart attack. So they give me to the hospital and the heart doctor says, well, I can't operate on him with his back like this. Back doctor said the same thing. I said, hey, I got to figure this out. <laughs> Well, they finally did, and what they did, they went in and did back surgery, put me open, did open heart all at the same time. Um, Rody and them were there. I mean, they're always checking on me. Um, then they even did a uh, – they went and bought a one of the digital picture frames 
And of course I had gotten, they were taking care of Rocky for me. And they just went out one day and spent the half a day taking pictures of Rhodey and Rocky having fun and sent, sent me the picture frame from a hospital room of them and him. Um, so, you know, that's, that just sold it over the top. Then um, in November of 2014, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, the survival rate for five years then was 3%. Jeez. Now I was nine year. I'm nine years out. Last November, man. So to say God doesn't answer prayers, you lost your mind. Yeah. Uh, the surgeon that did my surgery up there, he was actually 78 when he did it, and we did it. We went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, um, and. They had me up there from the time they diagnosed me here. They had me on the operating table in 10 days. And, you know, we were happy that we met this doctor because we researched the doctor here said, well, you're going to have to have a Whipple surgery. We'd never heard of it. Wife researched it. And when she saw how bad a Whipple was, she said, we're going to research this before we do. Because he was telling me, like, and this is what I want people to hear. And you know this as well as I do. Guys, he said, I got a buddy down in Houston. He can do the Whipple surgery. We can get you down there and get you fixed up. Okay, give me his number. I'll go. Well, my wife Googled Whipple and said, no, we're fixing to research this. And she found this doctor in Maryland. He had done over 3,000 Whipples. He'd done more than anybody in the world. Um, and she said, this is where we're going. We're going to the best. And... So we got ready to go and we prayed about it. And the day before we left, the nurse called and said, okay, y'all are all set up, ready to go for the surgery. And she said, I just want you to know that Dr. Cameron, who was the 78 year old surgeon, um, she said, he's doing your Whipple surgery himself. So, you know, for the only thing I can say is just God is so good. I mean, yeah. I was in such great hands. Went up there, did the surgery. Um, a lot of people don't make it out of the surgery. They they say, he told me, and I've had other doctors tell me that a Whipple surgery is harder and more complicated than a heart transplant. They take your stomach and your intestines and all that and pull them out so they can get to the pancreas and cut the tumor out. And he told me recovery time, you know, three to five months. And I called him back at five weeks. I said, Dr. Cameron, I said, I feel great. Can I go back to work? He said, no. So I'm telling you, I feel 100%. And finally talked him into it. I went to work at five and a half weeks after having a Whipple surgery. Oh, my goodness. This, um and then I've had so many other problems from not from the, the cancer's never come back, but I fight cholangitis all the time. Um, bile backs up into my liver and I get real sepsis and sick real quick. 
Um, in fact, I'm eventually going to have a liver transplant. They told me this now. Um, we're not going to Maryland anymore. We found a doctor in Dallas that worked under Dr. Cameron for 10 years and did about 100 whipples under him. Um, so we knew we were in good hands. Went to him. He did a, had to do another, I call it a partial whipple, but he had to go in there and make some changes that Dr. Cameron had done earlier. But the whole time, everybody in the dog world, man, they've just been there for me. They've, they've taken care of me. Rodium still pamper me now. Oh, we'll carry that for you. I, I can carry my carry this stuff. No, no, no. We got it. We got it. Come on now. Um, but that's why I said the dogs, just being out there with them, knowing what I've been through and knowing. I mean, now the survival rate has doubled. It's like 7% now. It's just it's something people don't, they don't survive pancreatic cancer hardly. Yeah. And to be where I am, brother, I'm going to tell you, I am as blessed as they get. Man, that is, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing just to hear the testimony of God's faithfulness and his healing power. And, you know, I think a lot of people attribute miracles of God and healing to like the instant miracles that you read about in the Bible or that you hear about at revivals across the world, but God has blessed us here in this country with physicians who, who have experience, who know what they're doing, who he uses as an extension of himself to heal people. And, and to hear that you guys were able to get connected and have that surgery by the guy who's, who's done more of them than anybody. And to hear, you know, with all of these different issues and, and the compounding odds against you, the fact that he's brought you through it and that, you know, although all the issues aren't gone, you're, you're still able to, to do the things you love to be on this podcast and share that testimony with so many people. I can't imagine that, that it's not going to change some people's lives hearing that. I hope if, if your wife tells you there's something wrong, believe her, because I honestly, I would not be here without her. It's, she ought to have an honorary doctor's degree as much research. And she researches when I feel good. But, you know, I've <clears throat> alluded to when I was talking, you know, I didn't get to do this because I was sick. And they've got me on disability now because I'm sick so much. And I can't really do a lot. Um, do when I can't do it. And just being able to even go hang out at the best retrievers and play with my dog and get a hunt in here and there is just, man, it's been worth it. I told my wife one time, um, she was like, man, I just can't believe you got this. I don't understand. And I said, I wouldn't change anything. I said, she said, you would get it again? And I said, yep. I said, because the way I look at it, I said, God gave it to me because he knew I could handle it and didn't give it to somebody that couldn't. And if I, this is what my people mean to me. If I could go 20 years down the road 
can look back and have never had pancreatic cancer and see the people that I missed coming into my life, then I'd be mad. Yeah. Man, that's such a, it's such a good perspective to have and a good outlook to have on life. And even when there's adversity and when you're going through these things that might break certain people, like the fact that you realize that God's brought you through it and all of the relationships and all the good that's come from it is worth the pain of going through it. Oh, yeah. The, the people I met, have met, we asked. Oh, and I've always wanted to do a, a, a yearly benefit for pancreatic cancer research since there is no, you know, warning signs, really. If you get the symptoms that the medical books tell you you have, well, by that time you got stage four and you're, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And my, one of my, Best friends in the world, Kristen Best. She, I, I went to her and was talking to her. We talk all the time. Brody goes to sleep and we'll stay up and talk. And I said, I want to do this benefit. And she came up with a perfect name for it. It's called Retrieving a Cure. And I hope to get it off the ground. I've got, when I said I've met a lot of good people, I've met and become friends with, uh, you You familiar with uh, Small People, the show? Yeah. He was the Native American that had the long braid in the back of his hair. Yeah. Didn't he, came, he do – he did he arm wrestling, right? Oh, yeah, he still does. Okay. Him and his son. They uh, – he actually – me and the guy that did the crawfish cooking, that guy had met him and told him about me, and they actually came to the crawfish bowl just to meet me. And oh wow. That was awesome. And then I have a turned out to be a really good friend, uh Chef John Foles. He's a famous Cajun chef, been on TV for 20 years out of Baton Rouge. He has restaurants in New Orleans. And he had uh he had called me one day and I build crawfish cookers, and that's what we use down at Roadies is my crawfish cooker. But um he said, man, I'd really like to have one of these. Um, and he was telling me who he was. And I'm like, you know, you can imagine I've heard everything in the world, people calling about my cookers. Well, I'm so-and-so and I'm so-and-so. And so I'm talking to him. And like, okay, okay. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll do one of three things. He said, you can donate it to me and let me use it. I'll give it to you, give it back to you after I do my shows. Um, you can go in halves with it and be a sponsor. And uh, I went and did some, as soon as I got off on him, of course, I looked him up on the internet. Oh, man, this guy's for real. And I called him back. I said, dude, you, you're going to do all this? He said, I give, I said, I give you the cooker. So he's had me <laughs> two of his cooking shows. We did crawfish one show and crab the other show. Um, but we get to go down and hang out with him and eat at his restaurants. And But, again, it's just the people make me feel loved. Yeah. That is, that is amazing. And, and just to hear what all 
these trials have brought to you in a positive sense. I, I can see how your outlook is the way it is because you're building these relationships, you're connecting with people and through it all. I mean, there's so much good that can come from a seemingly terrible, I mean, a 3% outcome. And, and now you see what all God's done in your life since then and through it all. Yeah. And I, I hear people in my situation would gripe and complain and, you know, I always tell them, I said, you know, what do you have to complain about? Do you realize what Jesus went through knowing he was going to be killed on a cross? Yeah. I mean, we have no problems. Yeah. Man, that is such, I mean, it's an inspiration really to hear this and to, it, it really does kind of open my eyes and, and give me a different outlook on things because in the modern world, we do, we, we see little things as big things and hearing from somebody who's gone through some very serious medical stuff and some big issues to have this outlook, it really does come down to perspective and your attitude through it all and what you're putting your faith in, what you're putting your belief in and, and holding firm to that. I tell people all the time, you can go through a small thing that's a seemingly big deal with no faith and it can break you. But with faith, you can go through the biggest trials and the biggest issues and still come out ahead with a positive mindset. Some of the most positive people I've ever met were, were people who were going through issues like that. One of them being, being a lady, we, we lived on their family's property and she had terminal cancer and it was, it was a battle for her but I never saw her without a smile on her face. And she, she ended up making it, I think it was seven years past the longest person with that type of cancer had ever made it. And eventually she, she lost the fight to cancer, but she, she never lost that smile. You know, she always had a positive mindset behind it, always encouraged and educated other people helped them walk through it, even though she was seeing people dealing with it that didn't, that didn't fight that, like that didn't make it through the fight as long as she had, she had seen some crazy stuff, but the outlook and the perspective that she had was unbelievable. And it really does put into perspective for, for people who haven't experienced that, but experienced other problems of their own, how they can go about it, how they can handle it, how they can stay positive throughout it all. Well, earlier you mentioned bucket list, and that, that is one of my bucket lists, is to set the world's record for survival in pancreatic cancer and have my lab by my side when I do it. Yeah. Man, what an awesome goal. <laughs> what an awesome uh, <laughs> record to, to try to set. Well, it's funny to me. Um, you know, we were going to do this last Wednesday, and I had to reschedule because this is how I eat up I am with duck hunting. Um, I wanted to do this more than anything. And then the day before my doctor called and said, we need to have a telezoom conference to talk. And my wife, they called her actually. Well, she came in there and I was watching TV and she said, you gotta have a telehealth with Dr. Zay tomorrow. I said, I can't. I said, I got that podcast. 
She goes, Andy, this is about your cancer and your health. And I said, I, I know, but this is about duck hunting. I, I'm going <laughs> to reschedule with the doctor. She said, no, you're rescheduling that podcast, not the doctor. <laughs> okay. Well, well, hey, I feel honored that you put up a fight for it, but <laughs> I definitely say if it's about your health and it's something, you know, especially important to her, you know, you might think, yeah, this podcast is where it's at, but having a strong woman by your side who's going to kind of put you in your place when you need to, <laughs> there's nothing more valuable than that. Yes, he gave me a good one with her. It's just like I said, I'd be, I would definitely be dead if it wasn't for her. Yeah. Well, it has been an, I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I can already tell we could just sit here and, and talk throughout the whole day, but I can't think of a better note to end on than that, to hear your story, to hear your testimony, to hear God's faithfulness. What, what a great place to leave listeners with and something for them to think about well i hope they listen to their wives and do us right it's you know i yeah. I, I hope to see you at the crawfish bowl yeah i i plan on being there whether it's with the whole family or if it's something that i just have to shoot down for i have become no stranger to driving long distances over the past three years so if it's something where I got to wake up early and get down there and then come back after, um, I'm going to do everything in my power to make it happen. Now, if you get a chance, look up that Blasting Cash Ministries website and we might can get some hunts going on that too. Yeah, I will for sure. I'm going to hop on as soon as we're done with this call and check that out and, uh, and see how I can get involved with it. So. Andy, I really do appreciate the conversation. I look forward to meeting you. Look forward to getting to hunt together or just watching dogs train and run together. I appreciate it. I, I'm glad you're doing this and reaching people that that wouldn't hear it any otherwise. And I'm, I'm just ecstatic that you had me on. Yeah, it's been an honor for me as well. Uh, so thank you very much. Hey, thank you.